0: Okay, so in the Gospel of John, it looks a little bit different than it does in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we're going to read in the Gospel of John the events that happen immediately before Jesus goes to the cross. Okay? And and I just want you to really lean in this week. We're going to focus in on Jesus as king. Okay? And, and this is going to be really important. Uh. You know, in in the Scriptures, if you you focus on the Old Testament, uh, there's these three offices that were important in ancient Israel, okay? So there was prophet, priest, and king, prophet, priest, and king. Jesus fulfills all three, okay? He's the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. And what we're going to focus on today is Jesus as king here on earth. And so I just want to ask, has anybody uh, ever seen the show Undercover Boss? Anybody remember that show? It's kind of old, okay? Remember the Undercover Boss? So the basic premise of Undercover Boss was that you had like a company like, I don't know, Subway or, or Walmart and they would get the top dog, like the CEO, the owner or the founder and that person would go undercover and they would work at like a smaller store that they basically owned and everything, right? And what was funny about the show, if you were and maybe everybody else is a lot more generous than me. Maybe you loved watching because there were certain times where like the CEO would be working with like a really entry level employee of this company that they owned. And and sometimes the, you'd see the story of that employee and how they were working really hard and they were, you know, a single parent and maybe feeding two children and and trying to, you know, put someone through college or whatever. And the CEO would like hear the story and work with this person and see that the person was just really great and then the person would get a promotion, right? You ever see, okay? So it was kind of cool and people liked that. Kinda, like that. I kind of, like, that was really good. But I always th- I thought it was really interesting when, like, the top dog, like, the CEO would work for somebody and that person just had, like, just attitude, right? I, I, don't, know, I, I, don't, I don't know why, but I, was, I thought that was, like, so funny because, like, they're literally talking to their boss's 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 boss, Okay. And, and they would just have attitude or they'd be, like, bossing the person around. And, like, I'd just watch and be like, ooh, like, what's that going to, like, turn out like, right? Like, it just was interesting. And that was just, like, kind of an interesting part of the of the show. And what we're seeing in the Scriptures is, like, Jesus, okay, John reveals to us that Jesus is king. He's, he's the creator of the universe. And he comes and serves in an entry-level position, kind of, okay? He, he comes in like, he's, you know, we started off the series that we did deep talks with Jesus in John chapter 13, it starts off with Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, doing the job of like the lowest slave. When we were, when we were talking about John 13, we talked about how um, there was like tears in, in like slavery. So there was like upper-level slaves and lower-level slaves to wash the feet of somebody was like the lowest job amongst even the slaves, and Jesus does that, okay? Jesus gets lied about. He gets mistreated. Horrible things are said about him, and, and he's, the, he's the king of the universe, okay? So if you're here this morning, and, and maybe, maybe you don't know where you stand. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe, maybe you hear that, and you're like, oh, no, I don't really believe Jesus was actually king. Uh, I just want to encourage you, just, just listen in this morning, for how the Lord might speak to you through this story. But what we're going to read, we're seeing Jesus, okay, he's, he's the king and he doesn't come in on a power trip, okay? So a lot of people, when they've got authority, when they've got power, they flaunt that power, they flaunt that authority. When Jesus comes and reveals himself to, to you and I, to this world, he doesn't do so in a power trip kind of a way. He, he actually comes and lays down, his authority, and it's really convicting. And so, uh, the, the the two kingdoms we're focusing on, so today, Jesus is like in the kingdom of Rome, okay? And so, we're going to read about Jesus' conversation with a guy named Pilate, who was one of the top people in the kingdom of Rome, okay? Uh, and so, in, in kingdoms, there are rules and laws, rulers and leaders, domains, subjects, and soldiers. So, in the kingdom of Rome, there were all of these things. Rome had rules and laws. They had rulers. Pilate, the guy that we're going to read about, he was one of these rulers. He was one of these top-level leaders, okay? There were domains. So the, the kingdom of Rome had certain doma- domain that it was responsible for. And, and part of the story, if you read history, um, kingdoms are always trying to expand their domain. They're always trying to conquer other kingdoms so they can, can be, get bigger and, and the ruler can be more powerful, Okay? Um, there's subjects, people who served underneath the rulers and leaders, and then there's soldiers. And what's interesting is that what we're going to read about, so Jesus, he's, he's like in Rome at the time that we're reading this, okay? He, yes, he's in Israel, but it was under Roman rule at the time of this reading. And so Jesus is under Roman rule. He's under a guy named Tiberius Caesar. So Tiberius Caesar was the most powerful person in the ancient world at this time, was a very evil ruler, Okay, and he was the one that was in charge of Rome. And so Jesus is under that. But Jesus is also a king, who and, and his kingdom, the kingdom of God, okay, so just track with me on this, has rules and laws, has rulers and leaders, okay, has domains. The kingdom of God is far bigger than the kingdom of Rome, has subjects, and it has soldiers. And so you're going to see Jesus, the king, and he's in this other kingdom, but his kingdom is like, it's different. The domain is different than the domain of Rome. Okay, the leaders are different in, in the kingdom of God than in the kingdom of Rome. Okay? The, the rules and laws are different. Rome has rules and laws. The kingdom of God has rules and laws. And Jesus is like the one who's over the kingdom of, of God. I think I put kingdom of Rome twice, actually. I'm just noticing that now. So <laughs> it means, it's supposed to say kingdom of God and kingdom of Rome. Sorry, that was confusing, okay? Um, so, we're, yeah, just so that's in your mind. So there's a the kingdom of God, kingdom of Rome. Megan didn't make my slide for this one. If the slides, by the way, if they look really, really nice, it was probably Megan or Brian uh, that made them. If it's like a mistake or something, it was probably me that was, was doing that. Okay, so Just so we're clear on that. Um, so anyway, so I just want you to have that picture in your mind. And today what we're going to look at, we're going to look at the irony of the kingdom, awareness of the kingdom, and the king of the kingdom. Okay, So irony, awareness, and king. So we're going to read... Uh, John chapter 18, and you can. This will be on the screen if you want to follow along, or if you want, if you have a Bible and you want to follow along in that. We're going to go to uh, verse 28 of John chapter 18, and just keep your mind, your heart open. We're looking for irony, awareness, and the King of the Kingdom. Let me just pray before we read uh, the Word today, Lord. I just thank you for um, your Word. I thank you, Lord, that you have inspired these words uh, through a guy named John to tell us your story so that we can actually know what you're like. This isn't just history. it's not just a story about what happened a couple thousand years ago. It's the story of your interaction with your people. And in this story, we see how your desire is to continue to interact with your people, even to this day. And so Lord, as we read, help us to hear your voice. Help us to hear what you're saying to us, what you're saying about our specific situations. And may we encounter you, the true king. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a a longer uh, part of the story, but just, just this story is so important. And so this is all happening immediately before Jesus is crucified. So this is Jesus before Pilate, starting verse 28. Says, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled. Okay, so these are the religious leaders, but that they could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Okay, we're going to keep reading in a second, but these are the, the Jewish religious leaders. They would not go into Pilate's headquarters. So, Pilate, he's a Roman ruler, and the Jews had very strict laws about what, where they could go and whether or not they could go into a place because it could defile them. So, they wouldn't they, they got to Pilate's headquarters because they wanted Jesus killed and they weren't allowed to do that under Roman rule. It was part of the ruling laws of the day. But they wouldn't even enter because they didn't want to defile themselves. So they made Pilate come out to, to meet them and say, So there's some irony here we're gonna we're gonna touch on. Verse thirty three So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? And Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? I actually think that's one of the most profound questions in all of Scripture. You've got Pilate, this Roman ruler, doesn't believe in Jesus, doesn't believe in the Israelite God, doesn't believe that there's only one God. He's, he's talking to Jesus, who a few chapters ago in John claimed to be the truth. Okay, so Jesus was like, he made this audacious claim where he wasn't saying, you know, I have the truth or I point to the truth like most leaders do. He says, I am the truth. And then a few chapters later, you've got Pilate. He looks right at Jesus and he says, what is truth? You know, there, there's irony in here. Pilate doesn't realize in that moment that he's talking to the person who actually claimed not just to have the truth but to be the truth. And, then, and Jesus says something profound in this, doesn't he? He says, everyone, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. You know, that if you desire truth, if you desire God, you'll hear Jesus. Even today. This is is actually a really profound thing Jesus is saying. And he's not saying that this is only the case, you know, 2,000 years ago for those that heard his voice. He was saying, anybody who's of the truth, anybody who desires truth, desires God, they'll hear my voice. It's a profound thing he's saying. And Pilate gets quite unsettled. Just keep listening. After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and he told them, I find no guilt in him. This is Pilate speaking. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, no, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him and said, hail, king of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, see, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. It's quite a way to treat somebody you don't find guilt in. He has him beaten and takes a crown of thorns and shoves it on his head. So he's, he's, you know, it's pretty twisted things going on under this rule and, and leadership in Rome. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to him, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to him, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law. Okay, so you're here, here the themes in here, like kingdoms have laws and rules. We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you? authority to crucify you? Again, just catch the irony here. You've got Pilate, who's a ruler. He's one of the top rulers in the kingdom of Rome, and he's looking at Jesus, the king of kings, the creator of the universe, and he's bragging about his authority. Isn't that just kind of ironic? Like, I don't know if you've ever bragged about something to somebody and then realized later how dumb you sounded because of how brilliant that person was, right? Like, you ever, you ever done that? You ever gone off and, like, just bragged about yourself or talked about yourself, and then you realize that the person you were speaking to was, like, far more experienced or better in some way, and you walked away like, oh, so dumb, right? Like, Pilate here, he's bragging to Je- He's bragging to the, like, the one who invented authority about how much authority he has. And what's profound, what is amazing, if, if I were in Jesus' shoes with that kind of authority, I would have, like, wanted to humiliate Pilate in some way. But Jesus, the one with all authority, the one with ultimate authority, he responds with humility, but it's quite unsettling to Pilate. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. And then, and then like, this is baffling, okay? Just, just think about this as we read it. Jesus says, therefore, he who has delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Isn't that a weird thing to say? Jesus is talking to Pilate. Pilate is about to have Jesus... Crucified. Jesus knows this. And and Jesus is like, the way he talks about Pilate's sin is so different. He's like, you know what? The guy that brought me here, his sin's worse than yours. I I don't know about you, but I'm reading this and I'm like, Jesus, what are you like, you're letting him off the hook here? Right? And Jesus says to Pilate, the guy that actually could set him free, he's almost like, you know, the, the one that brought me to you, his sin is worse. You know what I think Jesus is pointing out in that? Jesus, okay, he's God. He, he knows the motives of every single heart. So these religious leaders hated God. Jesus pointed that out a lot, okay? So and if you go and study his teaching, when he talks about the religious leaders, the Pharisees, he pointed out, like, they didn't want God. They wanted power, right? But then you've got Pilate, who's in this powerful position, but he doesn't know the the, the Jewish God. He doesn't know the God Jesus is and, and, and who Jesus is pointing to, right? And so Jesus kind of lets him off the hook. He's like, actually, the guy that brought me, is, he's, he's worse. So just, I'm not going to talk on that much more, but just chew on that a little bit. Some of the things Jesus says, you're like, what do you mean by that? But I think he's showing some grace to Pilate, even though Pilate's about to have him crucified. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you're no friend, you're, you're not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to be crucified. So Pilate gives in to the pressure, okay? So the the Jews pressure Pilate basically with his job. They appeal to a higher authority. So Pilate, he's like the the governor of Judea, okay? So he's like, so if if it was in Canadian terms, he's like Doug Ford, okay? So Doug Ford is over Ontario right now. He answers to Trudeau, and it's kind of a similar thing except these guys had way more power than Ford and Trudeau, and the corruption was crazier. If you're one of those people that focuses on, you know, corruption and things going on in our our country, um, there's always, you know, corruption to point to, and it's easy to criticize leaders, but I just want to point out the corruption that was going on in Rome was far worse than any of us have seen in our lifetime, okay? And so, so Pilate, he was like the Doug Ford. He was over Judea, okay? And what the Jews were doing was they were, they were appealing to his boss and they're like, listen, if you release Jesus who says he's a king, you're not a friend of Caesar. You know, Caesar's going to have you killed. They started threatening him and saying, you're going to lose your position. So Pilate was afraid. So what we see in this story is Pilate's nervous of Jesus. He has a conversation with Jesus I think there's maybe a bit of an openness in his heart, or at least there's a fear, right, that he, he kind of wants to give into, and he, he starts to see there's something different about Jesus. But he actually desires his position more than he desires to do what's right, more than he desires the truth. And so he gives in to the Jews and turns Jesus over to be crucified. And so the three things we're going to look at, irony, awareness, and the king, Th- this story that we just read is filled With irony, okay? So Pilate tells Jesus that he's got authority to release him. Okay, so we we talked about that irony. Jesus is is the one with ultimate authority. And you've got Pilate bragging about how much authority he has, right? And so there's, there's irony in that. Pilate's question, what is truth? Ironic, okay? He's asking Jesus, the one who back in chapter 14 of John claims to be the truth. We've talked about this before. I'm not going to go into it too deep today, but Jesus claimed to be the truth. He's, what he's revealing is he's saying it's, it's actually possible to have a relationship with the truth. So the truth isn't just something we, we believe. It's not having all the right facts in order in our head. What Jesus is saying is he's, back in John chapter 14, he's saying that the truth is deeper than that. He says, I'm the truth. You know, so if, if you want to know whether you're, you're right on something, what Jesus was saying was like, if you're in a relationship with, with me, that's what it means to know the truth. That's what it means to, to believe the truth. It's, it's a relationship. Like, it's a really profound thing. And so Pilate's asking him, what is truth? And Jesus, he is the truth. The other irony, and there's lots of irony in the story, but the last one I want to focus on is that the Jewish leaders in this story, they didn't want to defile themselves before the Passover. Okay, so if you're familiar at all with the scriptures, the Passover was like the most important thing in the history of the Jewish people. It's the story of when God sent Moses to free the Israelites from Egyptian slavery. Okay? And on the night of the Passover, uh, the, the Jewish people, they, they killed a lamb, okay? and they took the blood and they put it over the doorpost of their homes. And when the spirit of death came through the camp, it passed over every home that had blood over the doorpost, and every home that didn't have blood over the doorpost, the firstborn son in that home, died. This is the Passover, okay? And, and the Jews celebrated that every single year. So the Jews looked back on the Passover in the same way that today we look back on the resurrection of Jesus. Like that was their moment of what they'd look back and say, God set us free. There was a sacrifice that happened and he freed us from slavery. That's why we can have hope in God. And so in the same way that today, as Christians and followers of Jesus, we look back on the resurrection of Christ, that's our, the, the, the event we look back on to say, that's what we set our hope in. It's on, on Jesus. Well, the, the Jewish leaders, what's interesting is they've got Jesus on trial, and they don't want to defile themselves. The Jews had all kinds of laws. They have 613 laws. There was all kinds of ways to defile themselves. They didn't want to go into Pilate's home because there could have been something in his home that would contaminate them, and then they wouldn't be able to celebrate the Passover. But you know what's ironic in that? Is that, is that the one who's responsible for the Passover, Jesus, he's, he's the one they're trying to have killed. And here they are trying to keep pure so they can celebrate the Passover while the one who was responsible for the Passover is there in their midst. Is that not ironic? Right? And, and you know what it got me thinking of is the irony in the kingdom is are there times in our lives when, there's, when Jesus is in front of us, when he's doing something, and we're too religious to see it. This is what's going on in this story. i read a... Some of you might be familiar with a devotional writer named Oswald Chambers. Uh, on March 29, so it was just a few days ago, his, his devotion had a lot to do with it. He's probably not going to be able to see the words. They're going to be small. Uh, yeah, I guess they're, they're not too bad if you've got your, your glasses on or if you've got binoculars. This is the time to pull them out, okay? If you came today with binoculars, and you didn't know why. This is why. Uh, so I'm going to read this, and, and just listen to what Oswald has to say, and just think about irony. He says, the great, the great need for the Christian worker is to be ready to face Jesus Christ at any and every turn. This is not easy, no matter what our experience is. The battle is not against sin or difficulties or circumstances, but against being so absorbed in work that we are not ready to face Jesus Christ at every turn. Think of those religious leaders. They are so absorbed in what they were doing and trying to get ready for the Passover and trying to do their religious duty. They actually missed Jesus who was with them, who was in their midst. That is the one great need. Not facing our belief or our creed, the question whether we are of any use, but to face Him. I'm talking about Jesus. Jesus rarely comes where we expect Him, He appears where we least expect Him, and always in the most illogical connections. The only way a worker can keep true to God is by being ready for the Lord's surprise visits. It is not service that matters, but intense spiritual reality, expecting Jesus Christ at every turn. This will give our life the attitude of child wonder which He wants it to have. If we are going to be ready for Jesus Christ, we have to stop being religious, that is, using religion as a higher kind of culture, and be spiritually real. If you're looking off unto Jesus, avoiding the call of the religious age you live in, and setting your heart on what he wants, on thinking on his line, you will be called unpractical and dreamy. But when he appears in the burden and the heat of the day, you will be the only one who's ready. Trust no one, not even the finest saint who ever walked the earth. Ignore him if he hinders your sight of Jesus Christ. I was reading that as a amen. I was reading that even as a, a preacher. If, if I ever distract your sight of Jesus, ignore me. Like, what Oswald's saying here is, like, we can get so caught up in fulfilling religious duties that we miss Jesus in our midst. Do you see the irony? you got these religious leaders, these Pharisees, and, and they're so particular about keeping their religious duties and doing everything just right, and they've got, they've got God in their midst, and they don't see Him. How easy is it for us today to do the same thing, where we get so focused in on our, our religious duties and, and making sure we're right, that we actually miss what, what, what God is up to, what He's doing right in our midst. You know, Jesus, He tells a story about that in, in one of his, his parables. You know the story of the, the Good Samaritan, right? You've got, uh, in, in the story, Jesus tells about a guy that got beat up and left for dead, okay? And so he's, he's, there's this guy and he's laying on the road, he's half dead, and and a priest goes walking by. So a priest represents like a pastor, okay? So you got the pastor, he's ready, he's getting ready for church, and, and he's got his Bible and he's going, he sees the guy half dead, and he's like, nah, I gotta go preach and I'm um, a little busy. So he walks by. Okay? And then and then the and then Jesus tells a story, and then a Levite, so a Levite represents a worship leader, okay? So you got Justin. Okay, so Justin's on his way to church and there's a guy half dead, and Justin's like, No, nah, I gotta get my my songs ready and I'm gonna lead church or whatever, and he walks by. And then you've got this Samaritan, which was somebody whose theology was all messed up. It was actually somebody that was, was an enemy of the Jews. He's, he's just walking along, and he sees the guy half dead, and he goes over, and he meets the person who's half dead on the road and meets his needs. And Jesus, and, he, and, and the religious people are so offended when he tells this story. Jesus says, who, who was the neighbor to the man that was dying on the road? And these religious people that hated the Samaritans, they hated their thinking, their theology, they were forced to say, well, it was the Samaritan," Right? But what Jesus is drawing our attention to is like, don't get so caught up in like religious duties that you miss what God is doing right in front of you. So that's the irony of the the kingdom. Second is is awareness. In uh, verses 10 through 12 uh, in chapter 19, listen to what Pilate says to Jesus. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Now listen to Pilate's, what he does. He says, From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. You realize, Pilate, was the most powerful man in that area at the time. And do you want to know something about people that are powerful? People that are at the top of power in some way become very aware of their humanity and their weaknesses. There's this awareness. You know what I see in Pilate? There's this awareness. Jesus, when, when, when Pilate has this interaction with Jesus, he's shaken. Pilate has killed more people than you and I could probably count. He wouldn't think twice about chopping someone's head off, sending them to crucifixion. Like, he's, he's that kind of ruler. He wasn't, it wasn't that he was afraid of killing Jesus that he was shaken. It's that he could hear in Jesus something different than he'd ever heard before. He, he was having a conversation. This is profound. He's having a conversation with, with the Creator. Like, he's having a conversation with, with God in the flesh. He sees confidence in Jesus he sees someone who's not shaken. Jesus isn't begging him to, to release him. Jesus isn't pointing, and, pointing blame on someone else and like every other person would have done when they're in that situation where they're gonna lose their life. What Pilate sees is he sees confidence. And when Jesus says, my kingdom isn't of this world, Pilate, you know what he's aware of? He's aware of, like, and Rome, just so you know, is the most powerful empire in that day and time. And you know what Pilate's aware of? He's aware of the weaknesses of Rome. You know, if you study history, the most dangerous job, okay, the job that you're most likely to be killed in, in history, do you know what it is? It's, it's kings and queens, it's rulers, okay? Which is, I remember when I first heard that, I was like, what? That doesn't make any sense. They're, they're the most powerful people. But when you're a powerful person over a kingdom, everybody wants that job. Everybody wants your power. And so, so Pilate, he's aware of the weaknesses, so everybody that's kind of lower on the, on the the rung of the social ladder, looks up to a person like Pilate and thinks, oh, look at all that power. But when you're at the top, you realize just how weak you are. And then there's this awareness that there must be a greater power. Do you know that? That that everybody is aware at some level. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't believe in God, you're not a follower of Jesus, but I'll, I'll challenge you on this. You're probably aware that there is something greater than what you see every day. There's this greater power, there's this greater authority. In Romans chapter 1, uh, and this, will, this is in the New Living Translation, it'll be up on the screen. It says, But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen earth and sky through everything that God has made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. What Romans... It's what it's talking about in in Romans, and the Apostle Paul writes this probably a couple decades after the resurrection of Christ. He he looks across humanity. He looks at all the different civilizations, all the different kingdoms, and he says, he says, you know what? God has made it so obvious to everybody on earth that He exists. Like everybody has this awareness of God. I watched a a clip, and I think it's about a week and a half old now. Um, it's a and, and I'm not in agreement with everything by this guy, okay? So, Piers Morgan its a really controversial guy, okay, if, if you follow who he is. Um, but he interviewed uh, Richard Dawkins a couple weeks ago. And if you're familiar with the, the name, Richard Dawkins is probably the most famous atheist alive today. He wrote a book called The God Delusion back in the early 2000s. Um, I've been kind of following Richard Dawkins because I just, I'm interested in people that talk about God, okay? Uh, and, and Richard Dawkins, he's, he's this very, um, kind of evangelistic, passionate atheist, okay? So he's a biologist. He's brilliant. He's a really brilliant scientist and biologist. Um, but he's passionate about what he believes about atheism, right? And uh, it was interesting. A couple weeks ago, he's, he's doing this interview, and he's on with Piers Morgan. And uh, Piers Morgan just pushes Dawkins a little bit and, and asks him questions, and, and he's trying to, like, figure out kind of what Dawkins believes about God. And Pierce asks him this interesting question. He says, are you less confident today about what, you're, what you claim to believe about God than you were years ago? And Dawkins is like, yeah, I am. Like, he admits about that he's less confident. And, and, I'm, and by the way, if you watch it, he's not, Dawkins isn't like, saying he's close to believing in God or anything, but he admits that like, he's less confident. And what's interesting is, is him and Pierce have this conversation, and, and Pierce pushes him a little further. And what Dawkins gets to is, he Dawkins admits, he says, we, we can't, as scientists, we can't explain the beginning of the universe. Like, there's just no explanation that makes any sense. And, and Dawkins' point to, to Pierce Morgan about Christians, he says, he says, but it doesn't make sense just because you don't understand something to say it's God. Okay, so that's his critique against Christianity. He's like, well... Just because it's hard to understand, you can't just fill God, like put God in to fill the blank. He said that's weak-minded, right? And so that's kind of his, his, his point. But when he gets pushed by Piers Morgan, he, he, and I heard him do this years ago as well, so he's done this a lot over the years, he always comes back to the same answer. He's like, well, I just believe that there's other life forms, that there's aliens, right? And it's just interesting, as a Christian, as a follower of God, I'm like, this is one of the most brilliant minds alive today in science. And he's got this position of faith where he's like, yeah, but there's got to be other life forms. There's got to be aliens out there. There's got to be whatever. And that's kind of his rationale for how things came to be. And so, and, and when I come back to, when I watch stuff like this, and, and I'm interested, and I, I, again, I think Dawkins is a, he's a brilliant guy. I, I totally disagree. I believe God is who he says he is. I believe Jesus really lived, died, rose again, ascended to, to heaven. I believe if we put our faith in Jesus where our sins are forgiven. I believe all those things, right? And it's a faith position. You know, you, if you come to believe that, it's because you've had an encounter with Jesus. You've heard his voice like he talks about here. So he's changed something in your heart, but it's this faith position. You know, but what's interesting is like when you listen to some of the more brilliant atheists or people that speak on that, their positions are still positions of faith. But if you listen long enough, they, they all have this awareness like Pilate did where there's like, they're like, there's something greater. I kind of see Dawkins a little bit like I see Pilate, where, where, where Dawkins is like, yeah, I don't really know. And you've got Pilate here who, who hears Jesus make these claims of authority and kingship, and Pilate's shaken, and he goes, I don't, like, he doesn't know what to do with Jesus. And so in the kingdom, there is an awareness. And, and I'm speaking specifically, if you're someone today who wrestles with what you believe about God, I just want to encourage you to, to think about just the awareness you have in your heart of the reality of God, and if you're if you're a follower of Jesus today, uh, I believe God has he, he's put that awareness in all of us to draw us to Himself, and you've you've been aware of Him and you've experienced Him. Lastly, King, and this is how I want to close this. We've got irony, awareness, and then King in verse uh, 35 and 38 of chapter 18. Jesus says this, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And then Pilate said to him, see, you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? So Jesus, this is, this is just so rich, okay? Jesus is, he's the king, okay? He, that, that's what's revealed. If you, if you read the Gospel of John, um, John is kind of, I was talking to a professor of mine about this passage this week, and we were talking about the Gospel of John, and, and if you've read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll notice John is very different, okay? The way that John writes his Gospel, it's kind of like he winks at us. Okay, so what he's winking at, he's, he's winking. John he places the timeline of Jesus' death right at the same time. So when the Jews were getting ready for Passover, do you know what they had to do? In order to prepare their lamb for slaughter, they had to check the lamb to make sure that it was without spot, that it was without blemish, that it was perfect. They weren't allowed to just sacrifice any old lamb. Okay, so if you were a Jew and you were going to celebrate the Passover, you couldn't take the one that had the broken leg because you didn't care about that one. Okay? You, you had to take the one that was perfect. And at the same time that the Jews, even the religious leaders that brought Jesus uh, and and, and brought him before Pilate and wanted him crucified, they're checking over their lambs to make sure it's spotless. And John, in his gospel, he connects that with what Jesus is about to do on the cross. It's like he's winking. He's saying, could Jesus be the lamb that's prophesied in the Old Testament? Right? It's like he's winking at his audience. He's He's like, at the same time that the Jews are checking over their land to make sure it's spotless, Jesus is standing trial before Pilate and he's standing trial before the high priest, and he's being checked over, and he is blameless. They can't find a case against him. They even bring uh, different witnesses in, and their stories don't align, if you, if you read the other Gospels. Like, Jesus is the perfect, spotless lamb. And John is winking, and he's saying, that's, that's the lamb the Old Testament talked about. He's the perfect one. He's the sinless one. And you know what's crazy? Is that Jesus, and here's what we're focusing on, he's, he's the king, he's the one who holds all authority, and what he does is he comes willingly and dies for you and I. Nobody does that. Nobody who's got authority does that. You know, even, even some of the greatest stories that, that, that you and I watch on, and, and we're moved by, certain movies where, you know, you, uh, two lovers and, and one lays down his life for the other or her life for her lover or whatever, right? And it moves us and like somebody giving up their life for their loved one, well, the reason they did that was because they didn't have the power to save their lover, right? At the end of Titanic, okay, when, when Jack sinks to the bottom, okay, like, like it, 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 that was a really nice thing that he did for Rose, okay, if you're familiar with Titanic, it was, but if he had the power to save them both, he would have done it, right? If he had the power to, like, make the little plank bigger, so that they could both float long enough that the boat could come by and save them. He would, but you know what's amazing about Jesus is that Jesus comes and he's got all power, he's got all authority, and he willingly lays down his life for us as the greatest act of love the world has ever seen. He's he's the king. That's how we're going to close today. We're going to um, going to play a, a little video clip, and then the worship team's going to come and, and close us by a guy named S. M. Lockridge. You can put that picture up, Andrew. Uh, S.M. Uh, S. Lockridge was a, a preacher in the mid-1900s. He died in the year 2000, but incredible communicator. And uh, he goes on this, this little rant about Jesus, the king. Um, and some of you might have seen it. It was, it was quite popular a few years ago. Uh, but I just want to end off with, with this and just to give us a picture of Jesus, our king. So if you want to hit the lights, Andrew, and then we can play the, the video.
1: The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's unparalleled, he's unprecedented, he is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tested and the tried. He sympathizes and he plays. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges sinners. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the leader. I want you know more. He's the key to knowledge. He's a well-trained of wisdom. He's a low wave of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace He's the roadway of righteousness He's the highway of holiness He's the gateway of glory Do you know him? Well, his life is lacklust His goodness is limitless His mercy is everlasting His love never changing His word is enough His grace is sufficient. His reign is, is righteous And the yoke is easy And the I wish I could describe him for you, he's indescribable, he's incomprehensible, he's invincible, he's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind, you see, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outmend him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Silence couldn't find any in him. couldn't kill him. Terror couldn't him. And the grave could hold him. Hey! That's my team. That's my team! Amen.
0: Let's just close with a couple of songs. Let's, uh, let's worship our King.